You're listening to a special edition of Energy Insiders, a regular podcast on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson. This special edition of Energy Insiders is brought to you by GE, transforming industry and fueling innovation in hydropower generation. Hello and welcome to this special episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. Well, as we move into a high renewable grid, yes, it will happen despite all our political deadlocks, the issue of dispatchability and storage is going to be thrust upon us. So today the focus is on pumped hydro and we're being joined by two experts in the field. First of all, we have Bill Armstrong, the Managing Director for GE Hydro in Europe, Middle East and Africa, who was on the recent tour of Australia looking at all the possibilities here. And we're also joined by Andrew Blakers, the Professor of Engineering at ANU and a leading authority on hydro in Australia, and who will be known to most of you because of his detailed studies about the possibilities of pumped hydro in this country. Andrew, I'm going to throw the first question to you. Um, What is the case then for pumped hydro? Well, in 2017, 40% of net new generation capacity worldwide was wind and solar photovoltaics. Uh, 40% 40% was uh, solar PV and 20% was wind, 60% altogether. And this is going to rise and rise up towards 80 90% over the coming few years. And it's necessary, of course, once you get to high levels of uh, PV and wind, that you balance it. And pumped hydro is about 97% of all storage around the world. And so that's the front ranked storage technology. Batteries and demand management will be important, but pumped hydro can be expected to be uh, a very important um, method of storage. Well, we'll get into some of those details later on, including the comparisons with other storage. But Bill, um, over to you. Um, Why your interest in pumped hydro? For the same reasons as Andrew? Um, Yes, I think uh, we see across the globe uh, a a renaissance of the demand for hydro, and particularly around the region of um, of pump storage, and, and that's driven by the large amounts of um, intermittent renewable energy that's going onto the grid in, in, in many, many countries. And uh, and we see, as I said, this this need replicated across the world, and, and hydro pump storage is, is the perfect form of uh, storage of power uh, when we have excess power and we want to capture it and, and then release it as and when it's needed. It also has many other advantages um, that it can help regulate a grid so yeah, we see it as a great opportunity to to complement the the need for renewable energy generally going on to uh, operation around the world. And um, when you're talking about this, the growth of wind and solar and the like, so is the need for pumped hydro immediate and urgent, or is because most pumped hydro schemes would take a fair deal of planning and years to actually sort of put um, to to prepare and to, and to make and go through all the different um, issues? Um, do we, is is it the case of needing and wanting to plan ahead? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll ask an answer first, um, Giles. From from my perspective, I think having a, a, a grid. Uh, design that is long-term stable and secure and allows um, the implementation of, let's say, other forms of renewable energy to be implemented is is critical. So to allow that to happen and to have that stability on the grid, you need to plan early to have some form of uh, storage capability. So, so as we see in Australia, um, increased... Uh, renewable from uh, solar and, and wind going on, then there's a need to have this storage facility uh, available now. Um, yes, it takes time to implement. So the sooner you you, you plan it and, and implement it correctly, the sooner you'll get the benefit from it. 
Andrew, you've done a bunch of studies on this. Um, tell us about them and uh, and, and this need to plan ahead or the urgency of the, of the installation. The Australia is currently installing enough wind and PV to get to about 70% renewables by 2030. And uh, we could well have 40 or 50% by 2025. And it does take uh, a few years to plan and construct uh, pumped hydro. And so it's really necessary to be doing the planning now so that construction can happen in a timely manner. I think the, um, the Australian economy is going to move much faster to variable renewable electricity than uh, most people think. And uh, so it's really essential that we plan for two major improvements. One is substantially more pumped hydro, and the second is much stronger interstate interconnection. The reason for the latter is that um, if you have strong connection from, say, North Queensland right round to South Australia and across to Tasmania, then the amount of storage you need is much reduced because you're smoothing and averaging over a million square kilometres rather than over just small areas. So high voltage DC and pumped hydro storage and batteries go hand in hand to stabilise a high renewable energy future. So, Bill, when we talk about pumped hydro, um, we're hearing about a lot of different schemes being proposed in Australia and, and overseas. Tell us about the sort of competition between pumped hydro and battery storage and solar thermal and um, even electric vehicles. Is it actually a case of competition? Does everyone actually have a, have a, have a spot or is there going to be a bit of friction between the two te competing technologies? Well, the way I see it, um, Giles, is that you know, the world is using more and more electrification, and, and you mentioned electric cars as a great example. So the, the, the demand on secure electricity um, that is not intermittent, that is controlled, that is low cost, is, is always going to be there, and it's going to grow. Um, I think there is a, an, an answer where uh, battery storage will help, um, and, and that will help when you have, let's say, grids that are small, um, localized needs for electricity um, where pump storage brings in its benefit is um, first of all it's it's large scale um, so 2000 megawatts versus a couple of uh, tens of megawatts is, is is completely different scale um, secondly um, it, it brings in the ability to modify and, and help the grid and, and what I mean by that it, it brings in the ability to store large amounts of power um, over relatively large amounts of time and release those back onto the grid as and when they're needed. In a typical pump storage like Snowy 2, we're talking, uh, you know, seven in terms of days and weeks as opposed to minutes and hours for a battery. Um, the other advantage that pump storage has over batteries is, is you know, it, it can be installed takes longer to install is clear a pump storage plant, but it will last between 50, 60 years as opposed to a maximum life of a battery today is maybe 10 years. So I, I, think, I think there are, sorry, if I just finish, there are, there are advantages and disadvantages to both. Both have a part to play in any energy mix of the future. Um, but I think if you want to have the, the basic installed long-term capacity, then, then pump storage clearly has some advantages. Before I turn it back to Andrew, just give us a picture of where Australia sort of sits in the sort of the, the, the pantheon of global market opportunities for pumped hydro. Um, 
right at the top, I would say at the moment, um, I, I'm dealing with projects all across the world. We have two projects in Switzerland, which are very large, about a little bit larger if you put them both together than Snowy 2, the proposal. Um, one of those projects is now commissioned and online and working very well. Um, uh, we also have pump storage uh, in Portugal, um, and, and we're also installing pump storage in India. So it's it's right across the globe. Um, GE overall has 47 gigawatts of installed pump storage, um, and we're installing now 4.7. Um, and out of that 4.7 gigawatts of new install base, 3 gigawatts of it is what we call variable speed pump storage. So um, I, I think Australia's position will with Snowy at two gigawatts and other projects that we're looking at, uh, take a leading position in, in the need for new pump storage uh, within the global environment. Andrew, we, we hear a lot of different projects around the place. We've got the Snowy 2.0, which is 2,000 megawatts and um, and 170 or 175 hours of um, storage. We have um, the Battery of the Nation idea in Tasmania with their pumped hydro and maybe up to 4.8 gigawatts with an unspecified amount of storage. But we're also seeing lots of individual projects happening in, in, in up in Queensland. We've got the Kidston pumped hydro storage, which will go next to a solar farm um, in New South Wales there's a couple of different proposals in South Australia which is already at 50% renewable there's, there's a bunch of different proposals how do you sort of see this sort of playing out if we have these massive projects in Tasmania and Snowy Hydro does that crowd out the others and if the others go ahead does, does that make it life for the the business case for the big ones uh, more difficult well we looked at the amount of storage you need to support a hundred percent renewable electricity grid with 90% wind and solar PV and 10% existing hydro and bio. And the number that we uh, derived on an hour-by-hour basis over many years um, is about 20 gigawatts of pumped hydro with about an average of 25 hours of storage, so four or 500 gigawatt hours of storage. Snow 2.0 has a lot of uh, water, a lot of storage, but uh, limited power at two gigawatts. Of course, more tunnel and gensets could be incorporated to double that or triple that to four or six gigawatts. But after a while, you realize that you don't want all your eggs in one basket. There is a a decidedly attractive role for pumped hydro, not just in um, a place like Snowy 2.0, but also in North Queensland, for example, to ensure that a hypothetical high voltage uh, DC power line to the south from the excellent wind and solar in North Queensland runs at full capacity 24-7 by storing during the day and squeezing the power down in the middle of the night. Similarly for South Australia, it's fairly remote from the Snow Mountains and certainly remote from Tasmania. And so there's lots of opportunity there to um, stabilise the South Australian grid as it moves up towards 75% in the early 2020s and 100% by maybe the mid-2020s and allow South Australia to make the best use of the high-voltage connections to the eastern states. So in in summary, there's room for a lot of pumped hydro around the country and batteries and demand management, which accomplishes the same task. And um, I think a lot will be built as we move rapidly to 100% renewable electricity and thereafter to a much higher proportion of renewable energy by electrifying a lot of energy services. 
Mm, interesting. How do you sort of see a 100% renewable energy grid looking like? And um, if we are looking at so much storage, and then presumably when you, you, you put something in storage, you, you need to pay a price for the electricity that, um, that you're storing, and then you've got your energy losses from storing it and charging and discharging, and then you've got a selling price. Are you still confident that the wholesale price of electricity can actually come down um, over time? And I guess it probably changes from country to country because um, different situations. Or are we facing in a, you know, inevitably a higher cost grid? Or is it because that of wind and solar being so so cheap that we can actually make this more efficient and possibly eliminate some of those huge price spikes that we're used to seeing, particularly here in Australia? Yeah, I mean, I, okay, um, the... First question relating to the 100% grid. I mean, I think we see many countries around the world now getting to 100% renewables or close to it. I mean, 17 countries in 2017 were greater than 90% renewable. Um, and hydro was a large portion of many of those countries. Um, I, I think that the change that we're seeing now is the price competitiveness of um, wind and uh, solar and hydro and the development of technology associated with those is is really driving down the the cost of producing electricity from those three three sources um, if you just look at what's happened in wind with a 25 percent reduction in, in in the equipment price over the last years it's and, and expected to go further down and the massive increase in size of the wind turbines um, this I think will continue to push, wind and and solar and renewable and hydro and and renewables generally way below the cost of uh, other competing uh, ways of generating electricity so i i think the 100 percent renewable grid is perfectly feasible it's already there in several countries and, and there's no reason why australia can't have that you're the country with the, the perfect mix of opportunities Lots of sunshine, lots of wind, um, and and also lots of hydro resources as well as your carbon resources. So uh, the way I see a grid of the future would be a, a, a real mix of wind, solar, uh, hydro, and 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 also batteries um, for storage capabilities. Um, and and I think that's a perfectly reasonable ob objective to achieve within the reasonably short period of time. Um, what I've heard in the last couple of days is that that there's an aspiration to go to something less than 50% of the grid. Uh, I, I think that we should be able here in Australia to to see a much faster speed up of uh, renewable grid overall coming on stream. And just one question I think I forgot to ask beforehand. We haven't actually seen much um, pumped hydro installed recently in uh, Australia. The machines that um, that you use and, and, and you guys sell the machinery for it, I mean, presumably that has advanced immeasurably over the last... 20 years or was it so good in the first place that it hasn't really had much <laughs> need for improvement i mean what, what sort of technology i mean you think about wind and solar and their technologies come on from from a very um you know being very new technology and has come down you know extraordinarily in price what, what about pumped hydro what have we seen there um okay i mean i think the the basics of a pump hydro plant is is quite a mature technology it's mm -hmm. clear um i think what we've seen in the last uh, five, ten years is the advent of um, optimization of those machines um, through driven primarily through, uh, I would say, the digital revolution that we've been in and, and the, the revolution around electronics. Um, so with what we call the vast speed technology that is the latest generation of machines, it's a proven technology, but, but really gives the full flexibilities of these machines to 
to to react to the vagaries of the grid in terms of um, storing all the power when there's too much or helping regulate the voltage of the grids. Uh, this is where the new technology is really uh, benefiting to hydro. Um, I, I think the other aspect that's been developed now on um, hydro in particular is the ability to use um, predictive maintenance or predictive techniques to analyze with digital data you know what's going to happen if you operate in a particular regime how can you optimize the use of the machine through through capturing operational data um, and this is something I think GE has learned a lot from uh, where we have um, gas, uh, gas generator and engines operating either in power mode or, or our engines that are flying people around the world. Capturing that data and being able to use that data to analyze the performance of the machines and then improve those performance of the machines for our customers is something that we've also used in our in our pump storage machines. What are the major barriers then to the deployment of pumped hydro storage, either in Australia or overseas? So I, I would say um, what you need for any investment in, uh, in, in an energy system is um, reliability and some view of the future environment that people will be investing and operating in. Um, so I think one of the things that's fundamental is is a very clear picture of um, a policy around how um, each country wants to invest in renewables and the journey that it's going to take to move from, uh, in many cases, a, a grid that is driven primarily by uh, fossil fuels to a grid that is more renewable economy. So I, I would think policy in place is clearly the first one, and that policy should have the ability and the encouragement of new technologies to be tried and invested in. Um, encouraging uh, the long-term investment, something like a pump storage plant, as as we said earlier, it takes several years to install, um, but it's a fundamental to having the stability of the grid in the long term. Um, so I think those two things, you know, a, a stable environment, clear policy, um, and and the ability to use the latest technology that's on the world market today. Um, to help you optimize your grid uh, and, and make sure you move towards this uh, renewable targets that are in place. So then, Bill, um, have you had managed to have uh, much insight then into what's happening in Australia? Because um, it's been a bit of a problematic area with sort of chopping and changing on policy. Um, presumably that's not um, well, something that you'd like to see resolved. Yeah, I, I had the, the great opportunity today to, to go to and, and, and take part in a debate in the Crawford Institute Um I, I think it was great to hear the, the, the issues that are impacting Australia. Um, I think one thing is clear out of everybody I've spoken to is is the need to move to renewable energy, um, is also the need to have some form of storage. Um, I think what is somehow still on debate is, is the speed that we have to go uh, in Australia to, to achieve that goal. Um, my view, having seen other countries do it, I think um, we will see here in Australia a, a rapid increase in renewable. And, and I think it will surprise people how quickly it will go. Um, but as I said before, I think it needs to have a, a good, clear, agreed policy framework for renewables um, that can be in place for the long term. Um, I, I understand here in Australia the the 
the debate around the fact that we've tried to have this policy in place two or three times. Um, but I think it's important that people recognise, you know, you need some stability to allow investment in the in the in the short, medium, and longer term. And presumably, when you're actually sort of coming to an agreement on this, and you're looking to the future, and you're looking for sort of long-term investment signals, you want something that is geared towards the future of energy rather than sort of holding on to the past, which I think we're probably seeing in many different countries. Um, um, you know, this real sort of conflict between those sort of, I guess it's probably looking to protect incumbent assets and, and, and those looking to the future. I guess that's a, a friction of any transition in, in any um, industry um, that we've seen in the last couple of decades. Well, I, I think it's something that the, the Australian um, legislators and, and uh, uh, people who will put in place the policy have got to make the, the, the last word on. Clearly, it's a, it's a very complex situation and, and we I don't believe that there is a one solution fits all across all the different countries. Um, I think you have to take account of what is the 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 current installed capability to generate uh, electricity. Um, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> Most important to me is in this journey to move to renewables, um, you should not do anything that endangers the current. Uh, stable grid supply of electricity to 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 the people or or to the industries that rely on it. Um, so I think it's more there's a question of speed uh, needed to be taken into consideration. There's also a question of of the current environment that you're operating in. Well, it'd be fascinating to see Bill Armstrong from GE Renewable Energy. Look, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for your time. So, Andrew, what do you see as the major barriers for pumped hydro then? I don't think there are any major barriers. The reason we don't have a lot of pumped hydro at present is simply there's not enough variable wind and PV to justify it. Uh, in a survey of Australia, we found 22,000 really good sites and we're going to need about 10 or 20. So we've got a thousand times as many sites as we actually need and they can simply be constructed in an orderly fashion as and when they are needed. What about policy then? Because we've been wrestling um, with, um, w w with policy in Australia. Um, what sort of things going to provide that investment certainty and um, and the decision making to go into? Because the, the, these are long life assets. I don't see any uh, real difference between a four lane freeway or a stronger high voltage power line between states or a large um, storage technique such as pumped hydro. Government basically decides that there is a roadblock or a bottleneck and it needs to be fixed and then the government will arrange for the private sector to do the job and there could, for example, be a simple regulated return to the company that does the job. So as and when storage is needed, I could imagine that the Australian energy market operator would simply put out a tender process and the lowest bidder or the most credible bidder would win the bid would construct the storage as required and then uh, we can just move on and continue to install wind and PV. So you're actually thinking of a auction system then um, decided by AEMO according to what it sees as the needs of the future energy grid. That's right. There's not a lot different between what happens when a big freeway or a new railway line or a new high voltage power line needs to be constructed. Because this is a natural monopoly, then it's, it's just constructed according to the requirements of government by the private sector. It doesn't sound like a market, though. Well, why do we need a market for a natural monopoly um, if you don't have a 
ordinary market for high voltage interstate connectors, why do you also need one for large pumped hydro storage? I mean, these are multi-gigawatt systems. Um, Snow 2.0 is not um, being constructed on the basis of a natural market. Um, why should the other pumped hydros that will be needed also be constructed on the basis of some sort of hypothetical uh, artificial market? It's just simply easier and more cost-effective to build them as and when they're needed. And that was Andrew Blakers, the Professor of Engineering at ANU and a leading authority on hydro in Australia, and Bill Armstrong, the Managing Director for GE Hydro in Europe, Middle East and Africa. And not surprising that they're taking a big interest in the possibilities of pumped hydro in Australia. I know as we're going forward and we're talking about dispatchable generation and the integration of more renewables into the grid, that this and discussions about pumped hydro and battery storage and other forms of storage are going to be critically important. And it's great to have some good information on it because there's a lot of myths out there. So look, thank you very much for joining us and we look forward to continuing the conversation. Bye for now. This special edition of Energy Insiders was brought to you by GE, leading innovators in hydropower generation and servicing. Using breakthrough technology and the Earth's most abundant resources, GE is unleashing the true power of renewable energy. Visit ge.com renewable energy and see the future of hydropower.